0: right take your bibles with me this morning and let's open them together to the 11th chapter of uh of hebrews hebrews chapter 11 and we are going to look at the great test of faith um but i have to start with a story all right so i'll go ahead and ask you to forgive me for this story to start with but uh, i can't help myself i shared with my uh, sunday school class this morning that i was going to be telling the story and they're praying for me right now so you know Weird things go through my mind sometimes and I just can't help. They come out. Anyway, you've heard this story about a little bird. He was born in the spring of north and uh, he grew through the summer and then it came time to fly south for the winter. He had never flown south for the winter before, but he's getting ready to fly south. He was a little bit late in starting and uh, so when he took off, uh, headed south he was caught by a sudden winter storm and uh, his wings began to ice up and he got to where he couldn't fly and he ended up landing in a uh, cow pasture um, uh, and his wings were iced up and the the cold was coming in and he would have died he would have died in that cow pasture except a cow happened to come by and dropped a load of manure on this bird Stay with me. Hang on. All right. Well, the manure was warm, and so it uh, uh, the bird thawed out there, and then it kind of acted as an insulation. Don't be shaking your head at me. This is a true story. And um, And it kind of acted as an insulation. So the manure actually saved his life there in the cow pasture. In fact, it was... It was so nice and warm and toasty in there that the bird began to sing a song. And uh, it just so happened that a cat happened by and heard the bird singing in the pile of manure and the cat dug him out and ate the bird. I know. Sorry about that. Now... (laughs) there is a moral to this story. In fact, there's three morals to this story. Three things that I want you to learn from the story of the bird and the cow, Petty. Number one, not everyone who dumps manure on you is your enemy. Think about it. Number two, not everyone who digs you out of the manure is your friend. Number three, if, if you find yourself covered with manure, you should probably keep your mouth shut. <coughs> now, I don't make this stuff up, folks. I just share it, okay? Now, now um, I tell that story. I, I actually have a purpose in this, I think. We're going to see if it works out. Um, you know, there's a lot of manure getting dumped around these days. Everywhere you look. And, uh, and a lot of the times, you know, we, you and me, all of us, sometimes we're the dumper, sometimes we're the dumpy. I mean, it's not too difficult to be covered up with manure, it seems like. And it might be you get dumped on at work. It might get dumped on at home. I've even been dumped on at church. Anybody? Right? You know what's really surprising i guess to me is that sometimes you think about it god is the one who who does the dumping if you're not sure about that ask job now he didn't know what was going on but all of that came from god you know if you think about it and maybe it wasn't necessarily so much of a dump as it was a test and that really is what i want You to think about this morning. What comes from God, when God brings trying difficult times in our life, God is testing us, and he is testing our faith. And today, I want to talk to you about the test of faith. Here in the 11th chapter of, well, in fact, let me just back up. In Hebrews, we are seeing that um, uh, there is a prize, and the Lord Jesus is the prize. And he is the prize of faith. That is, you receive him by faith. You're going to get to him by faith. We walk by faith. In fact, we are in a race for our lives, or we are in a battle for our lives, and it is a battle of faith. It is a race of faith. And the prize comes to those who endure to the end. So hold on to your faith. Exercise your faith. Live your faith out. It is all about faith. Jesus is the prize. Keep your eyes on the prize, and you will make it to the end, but only by faith. Faith. Now, in the 11th chapter of Hebrews here is what is sometimes referred to as the roll call of faith because you've got all of these individuals who live their lives out uh, by faith. Ordinary individuals, people just like you and me, who had extraordinary faith. Faith. In fact, just the faith the size of a mustard seed is extraordinary. And so it is possible for anybody and everybody, doesn't matter who you are, to exercise this kind of faith. So we don't need to necessarily read about these folks and say, oh, well, there's something different from me. No, this is all for us. How am I going to live my life? By faith. I'm going to make it to the end by faith, or I'm not going to make it as a child of God. Now, we're going to be talking to children of God here today, but If you would say, well, that's not me. Well, I want you to hang on because I'm going to get to you here in just a minute. But God's people, I want you to hear about the testing of faith. Look down at verse uh, 17 here in Hebrews chapter 11. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, he received the promises and yet... He w- uh, and yet he was offering his one and only son, the one to whom it had been said, your offspring will be called through Isaac. He considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he, that is Abraham, received him, Isaac, back, figuratively speaking, and may the Lord... Add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. Now, when it says that Abraham, when his faith was tested, is referring to an account that is recorded back in the 22nd chapter of Genesis, Genesis 22. And I want to encourage you maybe this afternoon to go back and read uh, Genesis 22. What you're going to discover there, and I'll just briefly describe it to you, is Abraham, this man of faith, walking with God by faith. He's got this son named Isaac. Now, you might recall that God had called Abraham from a land called Ur of the Chaldeans to walk with him. And for probably about 50 years now, this, this, uh, this account in Genesis 22 happens 50 or 60 years after Abraham has already been walking with God all this time. And God brought him to this land called the land of promise, the land of Canaan. And God said, hey, look at everything. I'm going to give it to you. And to your descendants, and Abraham said, well, that's going to be hard to do, God, because I don't have any kids, and I'm already an old man. God said, don't worry about that. I'm going to give you kids, and uh, he waited another 25 years. His wife now is 99 years old. He's 100 years old, and miraculously, and Isaac was a miracle baby, miraculously, Sarah conceived she gave birth to Isaac, and he's named Laughter now. There's Laughter in the house. He is the son of the promise. And now Abraham is beginning to see all these promises of God start coming together. Now, he's been a man of faith. he been walking with faith. and He can see God at work in all these things. And he's really excited about it, even though he doesn't own any land at this point. But God said, I'm going to give it to you. He stays in the land, living in a tent. He's a, uh, he's a uh, temporary uh, immigrant there, although God said, I'm giving you this land. And so, and so there Abraham is. And now he's got this son, son of the promise, and everything is beginning to work out. And one day he's sitting there minding his own business, and God speaks to him and said, Abraham, yes, Lord. Abraham, you've been following me. Yes, Lord. Abraham, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take your son. And if you go back and read that, you're going to find that it's very, uh, it's, uh, the word Pathos or pathetic comes to me because God just almost rips his heart out. He says, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, that is, Ishmael, who was born by somebody else. He's not going to count, right? Isaac is the son of the promise. I want you to take your son, your only son, says, the son you love, the one that means more to you than anything else. I want you to take that son... I want you to go to a place where I'm going to tell you about. And I want you to offer him on an altar to me. Now, that's the account. There's, I'll tell you the rest of the story here in just a minute. But that's the account of Abraham and Isaac and the test of Abraham on Mount Moriah. Now, I want you to notice that it does say this is a test. And let me just remind you again that the that, that tests are given to prove what we know or what we've got. Abraham here, the man of God, is the one being tested. You know what's surprising to me about this, and I was thinking about it. Why didn't God test somebody like Lot, for example? Now, Lot we know was the black, uh, the backslidden uh, uh, nephew of uh, of Abraham, who ended up down in Ur- the Chalde- or ended up down at Sodom, a place called Sodom. And in the nineteenth chapter of Genesis. Sodom has been destroyed, and now Lot is living up you know, in the boonies somewhere with his two daughters doing all kinds of incredible, terrible things. Why didn't God test him? And the answer is, is because if you don't have faith, you're not going to be tested by God. Now, if you're backslidden or you're running away from God or you don't know God, then what he's going to do is he's going to bring things in your life, and I would call those trials or tribulation or whatever, and his purpose or plan is to turn you back to himself. But if you're a child of God, if you're a man of faith, a woman of faith, listen, now God is going to test your faith. You say, well, I'm not sure God will test my faith. Well, he tested Abraham's faith. And if he tested Abraham's faith, why in the world wouldn't he test your faith? In fact, this is what I would say. God tests the best. (laughs) He takes his children, those who have faith, and he puts them through the test. And I'm just telling you what the Bible says. And here's going to be the question. There's basically two questions on this test. Number one, Abraham, this is Abraham's test. Do you love God more than anything else? And number two, do you trust him? Do you love God? Do you trust God? I'll tell you, when you're going through a test, when you're going through things in your life that you don't understand and you're wondering what in the world God is doing, well, what he's doing is he's testing your faith. And here's the question. Do you love God and can you trust him? And if you love God and you can trust God, then I'll tell you that you will pass the test. Now, you might have a couple of questions here. As you think about that account of God coming to Abraham and saying, Hey, um, you know, I want you to take your son Isaac. I want you to take him to this place called Mount Moriah. And I'll talk a little bit about that here in just a second because it's very important. He says, uh, he says, I want you to take him there and offer him on an altar. You might ask yourself a couple of questions. Number one, how could God ask for such a thing? I mean, that's child sacrifice, isn't it? I mean, wouldn't you call that child sacrifice? If you take a child, you lay him on the altar and you basically kill him and then burn him, wouldn't that be child sacrifice? And you know, the Bible teaches that child sacrifice is an abomination to the Lord. I mean, over and over again, you go all through scripture. Now, the reality is, is that the, uh, the nations around Israel, they practiced child sacrifice. In fact, they had a god named Molech. And I think I've described this to you before, but it was absolutely terrible the way these people worshiped their god Molech. Molech was often depicted either in stone or metal. And uh, one of the metal of these has never been found, but a stone image of Molech has been found. And here's this, uh, this stone that has been carved out And he is a picture of a man, the God man, and he's holding his arms out like this, hollowed out in the back. And what they would do is they would build a fire in that stone image and they would heat that thing up until it was that rock or that metal was glowing. And then the worshiper would bring their baby and lay him in the arms of Molech. And, of course, the baby would be burned up. It was called passing him through the fire. They believed that somehow, way, they were honoring their God, and they were going to receive the blessing of their God by offering their child to the God Molech. And evidently, the, the nations around Israel practiced uh, this type of thing. We see, this, uh, it, we see it actually in the Scripture where it's described in that way. But God's people, God said, that's an abomination. That's not what I'm looking for. I don't want that. In fact, in the 18th chapter of Deuteronomy, and in that chapter, God, uh, through Moses, deals, uh, uh, describes all the things that are an abomination to the Lord. One of them is child sacrifice. God hates it. It's an abomination to the Lord. Go a little bit further in the Scripture, and you get to the book of Jeremiah. And at that time... Uh, Uh, The Babylonians have encircled Jerusalem, and they're about to destroy Jerusalem. And Jeremiah is explaining to the people why the judgment of God is upon the nation. And this is one of the things he says in Jeremiah 32, 35. (coughs) This is God's complaint against his people. It says, They have built the high places of Baal in Ben-Hinnon Valley to sacrifice their sons and daughters in the fire to Molech, something I had not commanded them. I had never entertained the thought that they do this, detestable act causing Judah to sin. That's what God thought about child sacrifice. And yet with Abraham, all the way back in Genesis 22, he says, I want you to take your son, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. What in the world was God thinking? How in the world could God ask somebody to do something like that? And the answer is, I don't know. Except Isaiah chapter 55 says, God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. And we do know the outcome of this thing because... The rest of the story is, is that when Abraham laid his son on the altar there, bound him, and he had the wood and everything, he was going to slay him with the knife, and then he was going to set it on fire and offer him up as a, offer, as a fire sacrifice, a burnt offering to God. God stopped him and said, no, that's not what I want. We know that's for, tr- for sure. So maybe sometimes God, who often doesn't make sense, I don't understand all the purposes and the ways and the plans of God. I just, knew, I just know what God says. And I know what God you know, commands and God asks us to do. And sometimes he says, you might not understand this, but trust me. Trust me. See, that's the test. Do I trust God? More than anything else. Do I love God more than anything else? Do I love God even if my own, more than my own son? If God were to say, lay your child on the altar to me, give your life to me, give your marriage to me, give your husband to me, give your wife to me, give your job to me, give this world to me, give Washington, D.C. to me, could I lay it on the altar and trust God with it? That really is the question. And maybe that's why God acts in ways that we don't always understand, just so we can trust him. So the first question that you might have is, how in the world could God ask for something like this? And maybe that's the answer. Here's the second question that you might ask. How in the world could Abraham do such a thing? I mean, here's Abraham, and he's called the friend of God. He had walked with God now for many years. He had been following God ever since early the Chaldees. He had been walking by faith. He knew the ways of God. He knew this was not part of the ways of God. He knew God wasn't into child sacrifice. He had probably seen that. Seen the people around him as they were offering their children. He knew that God despised that and that God condemned it. He also knew the promise of God, and he knew that Isaac, was the key to that promise. God had said, I'm going to give you this land. God had said, I'm going to give you descendants like the sand of the sea, and I'm going to do it through Isaac. He knew all that. So knowing all that, how in the world could he take his son and lay him on the altar and offer him up to God? What's the answer? Faith. In fact, look back at that 19th verse. It says, he, this is Abraham, considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead. In other words, he believed God. God had said, this is the son of the promise. I'm going to bless you through him. He knew that. God said, now go offer him on the altar. It didn't make any sense to him, but he knew that God could do anything. Nothing was impossible with God, that if God was going to bless him through that, even though he was going to take him, that God could even raise the dead. Whatever God needs to do, God can do it. Do you see the faith there? And it was by faith... That Abraham not only pleased God, but that Abraham was blessed by God. You see, that's faith. Now, let me, ask just, let me just pause here for just a second and ask the question of you and me. So that's the question of God. How could God command it? The question of Abraham, how could he do it? But what about for you and me? How are you going to respond when God tests your faith? What are you going to say or what are you going to do? When God's command is clear, but it doesn't make any sense. When God says here, will you lay your life on the altar for me? Will you lay your child? Will you give him to me or her? Will you give me your marriage? Will you give me your life? What are you going to do when God says here, just lay it in my hands? Will you trust God? Will you love God? Will you believe God? I'll tell you again, beloved. If he tested Abraham, he's going to test you. Child of God, he's going to test your faith. In fact, I want to mention just a couple of things to keep in mind in this business of faith testing. All right? Really just two things. Here's number one. Testing is inevitable. Testing is inevitable. I mean, look again. You, you see it there in verse 17. And, and this is, it really is shocking. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested. And just remember who we're talking about here. We're, again, we're talking about the man of faith. We're talking about the man who had walked with God. He knew God. He loved God. He had, he had shown that. He had kept on going with God. But, you know, when God spoke to him, I want you to notice and God comes to him, and he says, Abraham, yes, Lord, what's going on? He says, well, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take your son Isaac, your only son, the son you love. I want you to take him up to a mountain. Now, I'm going to show you that mountain. Now, he had heard this before, when God, because when he left Ur, God said, hey, I just want you to follow me, and when you get to where I want you to go, then I'll let you know, all right? And so he had to follow God there, not knowing where he was going to go, until he got there, and God said, now this is it. He said, I want you to take your son to a mountain I'm going to show you. And uh, I want you to offer your son there. And you know, what's really interesting about all this is that doesn't seem to have surprised Abraham. It might surprise us. I mean, we're shocked by that. Again, how could God ask such a thing? Abraham didn't complain, he didn't gripe, he didn't scream, he didn't moan, he didn't say, God, how can you? In fact, the scripture says, if you go back to that 22nd chapter of Genesis, that bright and early the next day, he didn't hedge, he didn't equivocate. He didn't look for a way out. He didn't hang on for a little while just to see if God might change his mind and God might uh, want to do something else. He didn't complain about God. He didn't gripe about God. He didn't go to his neighbor and say, well, you know what that God wants me to do? He just, he just took his son and he took everybody else and, and he headed up to the mountain. I mean, his response seems to indicate that he was expecting a test, maybe. Because remember, God tests the best. and Evidently, he expected the the test to come along. And all all I'm trying to say is, if you're walking with God by faith, you're going to be tested. In some ways, other ways, sometimes it might even be unimaginable ways. I don't know. But you know, if you can trust God... And if you know that he loves you, and you've been walking with God long enough, and and this remember, the the only time a teacher gives a test is after after that teacher has prepared his or her students, right? So so you do the preparation and everything, then you give the test. And so you've been walking with God, you've been trusting God, you've been faithful to God, and now God's going to test your faith. How are you going to respond? Are you going to get mad at God? Listen to what the writer of James says. He says, consider it great joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces, watch this, endurance. He says, be joyful in the midst of the testing, knowing that whenever he does, not if he does, that's never the question. The question is not, well, maybe you will, maybe you won't. No, whenever your faith is tested, it's going to be tested. It's inevitable. He says, rejoice in the Lord. Remember, the Bible's going to tell us rejoice in the Lord always. How is that possible? Because I know God, I know he loves me, and I know I can trust him. You understand how this faith thing works? Testing is inevitable, and James says, hey, just be joyful in it because God's got this if you'll let him. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 5 and 7. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for salvation. That's where you began. That is ready to be revealed in the last time. That is that faith is going to continue on, beginning in salvation, when you put your faith in Christ and you're saved all the way till The Lord Jesus himself is revealed, the second coming or death or however that works out for you, and you get to the end by faith. He says in verse 6, you rejoice in this. (coughs) Even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. Notice the word necessary and suffer grief in various trials so that, watch this, and here's the purposes and plans of God. He's got a purpose for you. He's got a purpose in your life, child of God. He's got a purpose in the test of your faith. So that the proven character, he says in verse 7, the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which through perishable, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor, at the revelation of the Lord Jesus. Now, what he's talking about there is like metal, silver, for example, that is put into the fire. And why, why does the silversmith put silver into the fire? To refine it, to show what's real. When God puts your faith, puts your life into the fire, he's demonstrating or he's proving what's real in your life. And, beloved, everything in this world is temporary. The only thing eternal is him. Let me just give you just a quick formula when you face the test of faith. All right? Four things here. This is what I want you to keep in mind. Say this to yourself. Number one, I am here by God's appointment. Number two, I am here in God's keeping. Number three, I am here under his training... Number four, I am here for his time. Real quick, let me just break that down for you. Number one, I'm here by his appointment. That is, God is sovereign. God knows what he's doing. God has got a purpose and plan. He's working that out. I'm here in his keeping. That is, God loves me. God has promised his protection and his grace and all those things for me. And so I'm can. i going to rest in the hands of God because I'm here in his keeping. Number three, I'm here under his training. That is the purpose and plans of God. God is working things out in my life. God wants me to grow in him. God wants me to be more like him. God is at work, and I can trust him. So I'm here in his training. He's got this purpose and plan. And then finally, for his time, meaning... That trials and tests come and go. They don't come and stay. And they're all in God's time. And he knows how I can stand, what I can stand. He knows what he's doing in my life. And so when the test comes, I'm going to trust him. And I'm going to trust him when it ends. All right? So I am here by God's appointment, in his keeping, under his training, for his time. Are you familiar with the name Laura Story? know who that is? Laura Story is a uh, uh, contemporary Christian uh, musician, singer, songwriter. Um, She was was singing and serving the Lord. She got married uh, to the love of her life. Uh, I think her husband's name was, I wrote it down, but I'm not seeing it right now, Martin. They'd been married two years, and Martin began to act a little strange and He ended up being diagnosed with a brain tumor. And it's very serious. And um, uh, it really devastated, it rocked their world. It devastated their life. And uh, she was, uh, these were people of faith. And she prayed, God, fix it. You're able to fix it? Fix it. (laughs) And God didn't fix it. One evening, she uh, she was with her sister and, she was commiserating with her and said, you know, she just wanted her life to go back to normal. That, you know, they were on this detour and she was just waiting for it to be over so she could get life back to normal and everything would be fine. And her sister said something very profound that really struck her heart. Her sister said, maybe the detour is the road. Maybe the detour is the road. Anyway, through all that, she, she sat down and wrote a song. It actually won... A, uh, a Grammy for uh, Christian Contemporary Single of the Year. She published it in a uh, in an album called Blessing. It was Album of the Year that year. The song's name was Blessing, and this is what she wrote: We pray for blessings. We pray for peace, comfort for family, protection while we sleep. We pray for healing, for prosperity. We pray for your mighty hand to ease our suffering. And all the while you hear each spoken need, yet love is way too much to give us lesser things. And here's the chorus. Because what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if the trials of this life, Are your mercies in disguise? Think about it. We pray for wisdom, your voice to hear. And we cry in anger when when we cannot feel you near. We doubt your goodness. We doubt your love. As if every promise from your word is not enough. And all the while... You hear each desperate plea and long that we'd have faith to believe. When friends betray us, when darkness seems to win, we know that pain reminds this heart, this is not, this is not, this is not my home. Because what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if my greatest disappointments are the aching of this life? Is the revealing of a greater thirst this world can't satisfy? And what if trials of this life, the rain, the storms, the hardest nights, are your mercies in disguise? Is it possible that God can take the testing and the trials to bless us what if they are his mercies in disguise beloved if you have faith if you're a man of faith a woman of faith that testing is inevitable he's gonna do it let me give you the second thing here obedience is essential obedience is essential. If testing is inevitable, obedience is essential. Let me just remind you again the story. God said, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, the son you love. I want you to take him to to a, a mountain. I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to offer him there. I want you to offer him there to me. Abraham didn't accuse God. He didn't blame God. He didn't question God. He just did what God said to do. And we'll see in the rest of the story that that actually was the blessing. We're going to see the blessing that comes from that. But at this point, I just want you to notice that he just obeyed God. He didn't understand it, couldn't figure it out, maybe, wasn't sure what God was doing. He just obeyed God. Did he want to be blessed like everybody else? Sure, just like Laura wrote. We pray for blessing, we want to be blessed. And a lot of times our prayer is, God, bless me, bless me, bless me. Take this thing away from me. And God is saying, I will bless you if you'll just obey me. Maybe I can't bless you because you won't obey me. If you're not obeying me, if you're not following God, then how in the world is God going to bless you? This is why obedience is essential. Let me just tell you how you need to obey God when God tests your faith. You need to obey him quickly. Because delayed obedience is disobedience. I learned this when I, was, when I was a child. Dad said, take out the trash. And I took out some of the trash, but not all the trash. I hadn't taken out the trash. And I was going to hear about it completely. I, I want to, I mean, quickly, if I didn't do it right then, God says, God says, obey. And he's, and he's not asking us to wait around. Because what happens is, is we begin to delay or we begin to wait and it becomes easier and easier to disobey. Notice that Abraham didn't hesitate. He didn't wait around to see if God would change his mind. He just went and did what God said to do. You know, in the ninth chapter of Luke, Jesus uh, uh, begins to call people to himself. And there are some of them that say, hey, Jesus, I want to follow you, but I need to go take care of some stuff first. So i got to go bury my dad. Uh, I've, got, I've got to you know, get the crops in. i got to do whatever. And Jesus says, no, that's okay, because anybody who puts his hand to the plow is not fit for the kingdom of God. That is, if you don't obey now, you're not going to obey later. So how do I want to obey God? I want to obey quickly. When God speaks clearly, I want my obedience to be quickly, and then I want to obey completely. And this is where I got ahead of myself just a moment ago. When Dad said, take out the trash, he meant all the trash, right? So I'll obey quickly, and I'll obey completely. I want you to get this scene. Here's here's Abraham and Isaac, and they're walking up that hill toward Mount Moriah. Keep that in mind here in just a second. I'll tell you a little bit more about that. They're walking up the hill, and, you know, Isaac is not a dummy, and he's seen his dad worship before. He, know, he knows about sacrifice and all that. And he says, Dad, I think we forgot something. And uh, Abraham says, well, you know, what uh, you know, wh- what, do you, what? do you think? And uh, Isaac says, well, I, we got wood. I'm carrying the wood, so I understand we're going to build a fire here. You got the fire. We don't have a sacrifice. We don't have anything to put on it. You know how easy it would have been? For Abraham to kind of hedge his bets just a little bit and take a lamb with him. Wouldn't that have been something? I mean, I wonder why he didn't do that just in case, like at the last minute, God said no. I mean, why didn't he go ahead and just take that lamb? He wasn't looking for, he, he, he could have been looking for another way out. He wasn't. He wasn't trying to hedge his bets, he wasn't giving God an out. God said it. He did it. He believed it. He just obeyed it. Do you know that partial obedience, if we just go halfway with God, that's disobedience? You know, there's a story in 1 Samuel about Saul, the first king of Israel. And uh, God told him to take his army and destroy this one place, destroy everything in it. And so he went and destroyed everything except the, the best sheep and goats and everything. He kept that. Probably kept it for himself. But then when Samuel showed up and uh, Saul said, hey, Samuel, I did exactly what God said. And about that time you hear this, and Samuel said, well, what's that? And Saul said, oh, well, that's a sheep. I I saved all the best, but we're going to offer those to God. In 1 Samuel 15, Samuel looks at Saul and says, listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. God really isn't looking for sacrifice from you. What he's looking for was obedience. And partial obedience becomes disobedience. When you obey God, and it's essential as an exercise of faith. God says it, I do it. Because faith without works is dead. It's not real faith. Obedience, obey quickly, obey completely. And then finally, you got to obey believing. You know, when Isaac said, hey, where's the lamb? Abraham said, well, God will provide the lamb. And, you know, they went on up that mountain, and they got to that place. It's called Mount Moriah. By the way, that's a partial picture of it in, in the background back there. It's called Mount Moriah. And there he built that altar, and he, uh, and he laid Isaac on that altar. And as he raised his hand, God stopped him. And then he said, okay, no, that's not what Look, look back over there. And Abraham looked back, and there was a ram. Now, Abraham had said, God will provide a lamb. God provided a ram that day. In fact, Abraham named that place something very interesting. You find this in Genesis 22:14. 14. It says, Abraham named that place the Lord will provide. By the way, the Hebrew words there, Lord will provide, Jehovah-Jireh. Jehovah-Jireh. The Lord will provide. So today it is said it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. God provides. The Lord will provide. That day he provided a ram. Remember Abraham said God's going to provide a lamb. And you know it took about another 2,000 years. But God did provide the lamb. Because let me tell you something, folks. Very interesting. That on Mount Moriah in the exact place. This is my personal belief. In the exact place where Abraham built that altar. In fact, today, Mount Moriah is called the Temple Mount. And just outside, those are the mountains of Moriah. And just outside, there's a place called Skull Hill or Golgotha. And I personally believe that at the exact place where Abraham built that altar, a cross was erected there almost 2,000 years later. And a man named Jesus was nailed to that cross. And the Son of God was offered up as a sacrifice for your sin and my sin. Abraham believed God and he obeyed God, believing, and God provided. Beloved, God is never late, He's never short. And you can trust Him. And if you think about it this way, obedience is an investment in God. When you do what God commands you to do, even if you don't understand it, even in your little minded, don't make any sense. You just say, here's what God said. This is what I'm going to do. You know, believing the Bible or, or obeying what God says in the Bible is not easy. I, I'm, I'll, I'll be the first one to tell you that because I don't always understand it. And it, and it's not necessarily logical to me. You know, I mentioned this before, like tithing, for example. It's not logical that that 90% of what God provides is going to be more than 100% if I give that first 10% to God. That doesn't make any sense. But God says, prove me, in this." I tell you what, you put me to the test, God said. And what is happening there is just a test of faith. Can I believe God? It's just like that. This is the way God works. It might not make any sense to me, but God says it. When I obey it now, I'm really investing in God, and now God is able to pour his love and his grace and his mercies that are sometime in disguise, his mercies upon me. When we obey in faith, God provides completely. That is the test of faith. So let me just ask you, would you pass the test? If God came to you and said, hey, lay that on the altar for me. Lay your life on the altar. Do you know this is the call of God to every one of us? I mentioned earlier I was going to speak to believers. What about for those of us who don't profess any faith at all in God? We've never really tried Him out. We're really not sure about all this stuff. You know what the call of God is to you? Is give me your life. Give me your life. And just see what I can do. Now, that has to be by faith. You come and give God your life. It's by faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not of works, so that nobody can boast. And really the question is, will you trust God? Will you trust God with your life? Because I'll tell you what, you can trust yourself your whole life, but you know the day is going to come when the undertakers are going to come pick up that body and whatever's left of it. And then the judgment is appointed unto man once that and then the judgment. That's just the reality. Do I trust God? If I can't trust God now, I won't be able to trust Him then. And the call of God today is giving your life. The Lord Jesus is the Son sacrificed for you. In fact, Isaac is just the type of Christ in the Old Testament. 2,000 years before, God, there was an arrow that is going to point directly at Mount Moriah where salvation and life is, and you can come by faith and be saved. And that's the promise of God. That's the word of God. That's the call of God. And by faith, what you'll find is not just life, but every Thing that you've really been looking for, the blessings, the mercies of God, are not going to come any other way but by faith. The faith's going to be tested, but the tests of God are faithful and you can trust Him. Father, I want to ask you today in the name of Jesus, Lord, as we present our lives to you and every aspect, every part of our lives. And Lord, this is, this is not you know, easy for us because we have a tendency to depend on self and trust in self and we think we can make it on our own. God, today, I think you've shown us that we need you. And I would pray, Lord, God, for every child of God, every believer here, as you test our faith. And God, I know personally that some of us here today are going through the trial, the ringer. We've been dumped on. We've been... Uh, spat upon, we've been abused and used and all those other things. But God, you're faithful. And Lord, today, I just pray that you'd show that in your power and in life in our lives. And God, strengthen our faith in you. And Father, for that one or two or those that would be here and say, well, you know what? I'm not sure about all this. Lord, I pray as you show yourself mighty. And God, you've been putting them through trials, Lord, just to turn our eyes toward, to cause us to turn our eyes towards you. Lord, I pray today would be the day of salvation. Lord, I pray you'd take over in this place for the one or two or all of us, Lord, that need God just to come and say, yes, Lord. I give you my life. I trust you with this thing. God, we ask this in the name of Jesus as you now move among us and you speak and we respond in Jesus' name. Amen.